Worried about the amount of time your teen is gaming? You're not alone. Nine out of ten parents say teens are spending too much time gaming. But what is too much time gaming? When does gaming become unhealthy or even addictive? And what can parents do to support teens who are problem gamers? We answer all these questions today in a brutally honest interview with Patrick Foster, a former professional cricketer and school teacher, whose life was shattered by a pathological gaming addiction that brought him to the verge of taking his own life. After a long journey through recovery and rehab, Patrick now uses his lived experience to help young people and their parents who may be experiencing problem gaming or gambling. Welcome to episode 83 of Better Brain, Better You. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode on gambling, gaming and addiction in young people with Patrick Foster. In moderation, gaming is fun and can even be beneficial for a teen's cognitive function and problem-solving skills. But a lot of teens are compulsively playing video games, which really isn't healthy. And this has led to a rise in gaming addiction. In fact, gaming disorder is now actually classified as a mental health condition. And gaming disorder occurs when a young person compulsively plays video games for long hours until it starts to impair vital areas of their life, such as their social life, personal well-being, and their education. So to help you identify if your teen is showing the signs of gaming addiction, I want to give you a checklist to work through. You can get this free checklist, Nine Signs Your Teen Is Addicted to Gaming, at ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash gaming. That's ologyonlinecourses.com forward slash gaming. Please do work through the checklist to see if your teen is showing some of the warning signs of gaming addiction. And if you need any support or advice, please do reach out to me. Honestly, I'm here to help and support you. Okay, so let's jump into this must-see interview with Patrick Foster. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on. Fantastic. So after your professional cricketing career, you worked in the city as an insurance broker and as a school teacher at independent schools. And in the book, you talk about being in a good relationship as well at the time. So I imagine to someone looking in on your life at that time, it probably looked like it was happy and fulfilling. So how did gambling become a part of your life at that time? Yeah, exactly that. I think one of the, the sort of strangest things almost throughout my story was the fact that actually for people looking in, I had a pretty enviable life. I had a lot going for me. Um, I had everything in life you could really want. But of course, as you know, I was living this secret um, and double life. But I think, as if you read the book, you'll, you'll know that wasn't the case the whole way through. When I first started gambling, it wasn't a huge issue. It was money and time I could afford to lose as such. I was still doing everything else I needed to in terms of fulfilling my cricket commitments, my studies. It wasn't affecting me mentally, financially. 
that was probably the case throughout university, although I was doing it too much. And I think looking back, the fact that I was sort of keeping it secret half the time was probably a telltale sign. But it was actually when I moved into the city that my relationship with gambling really changed. And I started to do it a lot more than I should be. I would win, I would lose. When I won, I would spend the money irresponsibly. When I lost, it would be a case of trying to win that money back. And it started to impact me in many different ways because of the stress that came with it, the fact that I probably wasn't working as hard as I should have been. And then, of course, in 2010, when I had the big win, that was when gambling kind of flipped on its head and my relationship with it completely changed. Yeah. So was there... So was there something specific about gambling, do you think, that for you that, that was particularly addictive? Yeah, I think for someone like myself, who was sort of very into sport, obsessed with it, the two kind of went hand in hand. And of mm. course, I could gamble on anything and everything that was sport related, which appealed to me. But I think probably most significantly was my kind of addictive personality, as it were, um, in the sense that I'd always been very impulsive, very obsessive. But I think probably the characteristic or trait that was most significant was my incredibly competitive nature, mm -hmm. because gambling was like a drug for someone who was competitive, because it was all about winning and losing. Uh, it gave me that on tap. When I lost, I wouldn't stop until I won. And then when I won, I love that feeling. So I'd try and replicate it all the time. Um, and I think that's why we see it so prevalent and prominent in professional sport, um, because everybody shares that, that one characteristic. But also I was always somebody looking for kind of instant response, instant reaction, gratification. And again, gambling gave that to me on, on tap. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because kind of addiction in your brain, at least, is, is is completely agnostic to you know to what type of addiction it actually is. Is because it sort of hijacks your the reward system in your brain, and it kind of responds in exactly the same way. Whether it's a kind of behavioural addiction like gambling or gaming or substance abuse addiction like drugs or alcohol, there's no real difference in the way that the brain sort of responds in terms of in terms of releasing dopamine and so on. So, do you think? So, do you think? that you could have become addicted to another vice as well? Or was there something specific about gambling? I think I, I could um, because I see my addictive personality nature um, manifest itself in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways now. Mm. Um, and I recognize that's the case, but I'm able to manage it better uh, and obviously very aware of my relationship with addictive substances and behaviors. But also I know that I had a negative relationship with other things whilst I was gambling. Um, alcohol, I'd never describe myself as an alcoholic as such, but I had a very complicated relationship with alcohol, which I think if I wasn't gambling, could have spiraled out of control. When I smoked, I didn't do it by half measures. So, yeah, absolutely. I think gambling was the manifestation. I think gambling was probably always going to be the thing that, got me for the reasons that that I've just said and because mm. of the kind of culture and environment I was in 
Um, but yeah, I, I certainly am a, a belief that I am an addict and therefore I've got to be very careful with all addictive substances and behaviors. Mm. And how did it impact your mental health as well at the time? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing um, and the bit that I had the least appreciation for um, was the impact that it had on my mental health. Again, it was kind of progressive. Um, it wasn't impacting it hugely initially, but towards the kind of end, towards the latter days, I mean, it was devastating. I was suffering from sort of serious mental health issues, depression. I hated myself. I hated the world. I hated everything that I was doing. I had serious anxiety for obvious reasons. I still do, but I'm very aware of it and, and I kind of manage it. Um, insomnia was a, a real issue for me. Uh, I couldn't sleep because I was either gambling or, or stressed about it or, uh, yeah, just constant living this lie and this double life was exhausting and it, mm. it just took its toll on me mentally. But what's really weird and, and as I try and articulate in the book is that element almost becomes an addiction in itself, um, almost trying to hide the addiction and keep it all secret was almost addictive in itself, which is, is what probably made it even more devastating. Oh, okay. I didn't say in what way addictive? Well, I think because once I'd got into a stage where I felt like I was always going to get found out, yeah. it was almost like, how long can I keep this going for? it almost became a little bit of a game. I was so reluctant to reach out for help. It was, well, how can I do this? But also I became addicted to trying to get money off people because mm -hmm. that was almost like gambling in itself. The whole contacting somebody, will they, won't they respond with a positive outcome right, was right, almost right, right. like a, like a bet in itself. And just nothing would get in the way of, of my addiction or, or my next bet. Wow. So, and how did, so during that sort of period, we kind of transitioned from where it was kind of in-person gambling and then kind of online gambling become a, became a much bigger thing. So how did the advent of online gambling actually change your habits and, and your addictive habits? I think just the frequency of it, um, the fact that I could do it 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. When I first started gambling, it was manageable if you like because there are only certain times that i could get to the betting shop or the casino there's only so much time i could be in there therefore so much money i could spend or lose mm. whereas when it became online i could do it any time any place and, and as i write about in the book i'm not proud of it but i really did gamble anywhere and everywhere and as a teacher i'd be able to gamble in the middle of my lessons um and that was kind of what made it so difficult was I could mm. never get away from the problem. But also what came with the advent of online gambling was also things like betting in play. Um, so it was this constant interaction with it. Um, and I just do it all day, every day. And it, it consumed thoughts and actions. Yeah. And how are you now? So how are you in recovery and several years in? How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Um, Life is obviously a lot better. 
it's not perfect and not without challenges, but you come to realize that whose is, and you, you manage those things, situa uh, situations better. Um, it's a constant kind of battle mm. that I'm fighting, but it's something that gets easier and time is a great healer, both in terms of dealing with the kind of temptations urges to do it that doesn't exist as much as it did when i first came out of treatment the fact that actually a lot of the shame that i felt has turned to guilt um other people have forgiven me a lot quicker than i've i'll ever forgive myself but i forgive myself a little bit more each day uh obviously what i do helps that because you feel like you're giving something back after taking a lot away um but yeah i'm just able to to navigate the challenges that life inevitably throws at you a lot better um and by not gambling and, and being more open and honest um things are better i have debt but when anybody tries to feel sorry for me i turn around and say well i've got more money than i've ever had because i'm not gambling so i'm yeah. happy yeah, yeah uh so you've got to look at the positives uh, as i write about in the book i try not to have too many what ifs or if onlys because i think if i did i'd spend my whole life being consumed by that and mm. thinking about well what if i'd done this if only i'd done that but actually i'd spend my life beating myself up and and that's not gonna um, help anybody and of course I've had incredible support from friends which has made my recovery journey so much easier so and um so the, you alluded to it then the work that you're doing now so it's helping you you say so and you're you're using your kind of lived experience to help young people and particularly young people in, in schools and, and parents as well Can you tell us a bit about that yeah so when I came out of treatment in April 2018, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with life, but I had a burning desire to share my story with people, not because I think I'm some sort of hero who's gonna change the world, because I'm not proud of anything I ever did and I never will be, but because I thought actually, do you know what? I don't want anybody else to ever go through this. But also I kind of reflected on life and I make no bones about it, I was incredibly fortunate in that background and education. I went through a professional sports academy. I went to a great school. I went to a great university. Nobody ever talked to me about gambling, the dangers and pitfalls of it. I knew lots about substance addiction and perhaps other addictive behaviors. And I thought, you know what? there needs to be more done about this. And I did a bit of research and I found out that not many people were doing it. And I thought, well, why don't I be that person with, with my background? And, and so I started doing it. I probably had a desire to do it a bit too quickly in the sense that I obviously needed to make sure I was okay before I started to try and help other people. Um, and that was some great advice I got early on. But actually then when I started to do it, I found it incredibly rewarding impactful on other people but from a selfish perspective it was also really good for me mm. um, because it was a constant reminder of, of where I was where I don't want to go back to um, but it was also nice because I felt like I was helping other people as well as helping myself and I think probably what's almost what's most scary about it is 
the timing of it was sort of impeccable in that it became or has become an issue that schools really do need to take seriously. It wasn't something that they need to worry about a huge amount previously, but now they really do. Young people are engaging with gambling in, in different ways. From a much earlier age, they're being exposed to it. They've got accessibility. So at no point has anybody, whether it's a, a parent, a member of staff, a pupil, have they ever questioned the relevance or need for it? Um, so I think that's been great because I think it's, it's coincided. And, and the organization that I work for called Epic Risk Management, we kind of operate in the education and prevention space rather than the treatment space and, mm. and work in the highest risk sectors statistically and evidentially. And young people is probably the most important demographic. Yeah. And what do you, so what are the sort of current statistics now in, in young people? Is, is, is gambling becoming much more prevalent? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's quite a complicated space as well because there are certain things that people can argue whether they're gambling or not. In my opinion, what they are is they're normalizing that type of behavior and mm -hmm. they need to be viewed as gambling. And, and when I'm talking about these things, I'm talking about particularly the convergence between gaming and gambling. Right. Some of the things built into gaming now, like loot boxes, packs, I believe these are, these are forms of gambling. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's what young people are engaging with. Um, things like trading, cryptocurrency, this is all a kind of new modern form of gambling that a lot of people don't appreciate is gambling, but actually it is. So the statistics, if you take all that into account, are frightening mm. but even in the kind of more old-fashioned if you like forms of gambling there's still a lot of young people engaging with it and i think statistically now they reckon there's nearly half a million young people between the ages of 11 and 16 gambling every week wow. Fifty thousand of those are already addicted to it um and of course as i as i mentioned earlier i think the accessibility the exposure the normalization of it has, has probably all added to that. So is gaming a sort of gateway in, do you think, to, to, to gambling then? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's some of the things that now are incorporated within these games. Um, I recognize why young people do it. Mm. Um, it's now a kind of way that a lot of them socialize, particularly after what we've been through in the last... 24 months, so I, I don't think it should be viewed as, as kind of the devil or evil. Um, and obviously, like anything in, in moderation, it's okay. But what worries me is the fact that a lot of these games are designed to be addictive, but mm. also the things that are built in are, are essentially forms of gambling. Um, and it's about normalizing that. And that's what worries me because I think you you described it perfectly there as a as a kind of gateway mm. and when young people get bored of gaming or they've had enough of that they then think well maybe i'll do it with real money and gamble and we're certainly seeing from the work that we do that that one often leads into the other not always but um yeah i think certainly in a lot of cases 
Yeah, can you say a bit more about um, some of the way that kind of games are designed, you think, to kind of draw people in with or deliberately designed to be kind of more addictive? Some of the things, you know, I can think of are things like them being sort of bottomless and that they're kind of endless. You can just keep going and going and going. There's no end point, you know, and even the way we sort of consume TV to some extent is like that now. There's no sort of end to consumption. Is it something similar with gaming? Yeah, exactly that. Um, And the kind of frequency of it, the fact that you can, there's no limit as to when you can do it, how often you can do it. Uh, I think the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is a lot of it is not just about money, but addictive in time. Mm. Um, I work with a lot of parents now and, and they say, well, I don't let my son or daughter spend any money on these games. So, surely that's okay but actually they reward you for the amount of time you spend Mm. Uh, you can build up credits for spending hours of time and of course then you've got an individual who one of their mates is spending money on it to accelerate their progress so you're then spending time to try and keep up and that competitive nature so there's lots of ways that it keeps a young person engaged and, and actually some of the design is is meant to do that and and that's where i think it needs to be more heavily regulated what scares me is that that gaming is in no way shape or form regulated Um, there's nothing stopping a young person spending an infinite amount of time or, or money gaming and now of course we've got also the sort of well not the advent it's been going for kind of years now where you know um we have kind of and more kind of competitive professional gaming, you know, with things like esports and so on. So, are you kind of seeing kind of young people take becoming more engaged in that as well? Yeah, it's something that I've had to sort of get my head around as, as somebody who is fanatical about sport in a traditional sense of, of the word. And I can totally see how that now translates into desire to become a professional esports player just like I wanted to be a professional cricketer and that kind of obsession uh, desire to do it I think one of the things that worries me about that is a how many people are trying to do it and how competitive it is and, and do young people understand that but also dare I say it more traditional sports if you don't achieve what you set out to do. It still generally has a positive impact on you. Obviously, the fallout is difficult to deal with, but it's good for your physical health. Whereas actually, the consequences that come with that world probably aren't so positive. Um, And I think the impact that it has on, on kind of mental health is what worries me and do people have an understanding of of what it takes but at the same time young people have dreams you shouldn't stand in the way of them but um yeah i think understanding all those elements is really important but i think esports is going to be the next big thing from a gambling perspective as well because of course now you can gamble on esports yeah um and that is again linking the two and Mm. 
you put those two things together and it's a match made in heaven or hell for young people depending on which way you you look at it because it's it's putting gambling and gaming directly together yeah 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 absolutely so incredibly incredibly addictive isn't it so and how do you in the work that you do what sort of advice do you offer for how parents can actually help and support young people around gaming I think the most important thing, particularly for parents, is is awareness of this. Mm. Um, it's constantly evolving, changing. So trying to stay on top of what people are doing is, is really, really important. Um, and actually realizing that what you might think is going on is not actually the reality there's games that appear to be very innocent, something like FIFA, which a lot of young people are doing. And you think, well, it's just people playing football, but actually with some of the things that are built into it. So actually due diligence is really important. What does it involve? Obviously, again, taking care of, of just linking up credit cards or giving people bottomless pits of, of money because when something's addictive, they'll just keep doing it until it mm. runs out. So I think that's really important. I think normalizing conversations about it is is really important. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I wrote the book was that this is so normalized in culture and society and yet still a taboo subject. And to me, mm. that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So talk about the addictive nature of it how moderation is important. I, I'm not a believer that you shouldn't allow people to do it and say, actually, no, you're not doing it at all because I think they'll probably do it without telling you. And that's even more dangerous, but it's about kind of setting boundaries, putting yeah. barriers in place, staying on top of things and moderation. And I think the other thing is when things do start to go wrong, if they go wrong, is don't ever assume that it's not this that might be the problem. Mm. A lot of my mates who realized something was up, many of them have said to me, at no point did I think it was gambling. Mm. And yet now I found out it was gambling. It was so obvious it was gambling. But I think almost people don't want to believe it is. Um, and I think that's really, really important. So I think talking, um, normalizing conversations, also talking to other parents about it is is important. Um, and treating every individual situation because different people are, are different and you might have a son or daughter who does have a character like me who you might need to be more kind of watchful of or, or mm. careful. Um, but yeah, those sorts of things I think are really important. Absolutely. And, and are there sort of warning signs you think parents can look out for in terms of amount of time gaming and so on? Yeah, I think the most obvious warning signs are significant changes in behavior, mm -hmm. um, but also prioritizing it over and above everything else. So. Yeah we know that young people love gaming and, but actually a lot of them can, can play video games. And then when it's time to go and do something else or 
they will then go off to play football or drama or ballet or whatever it might be, they'll still do that. Whereas actually, if you're addicted to it, you don't really want to do anything else. It's It becomes the, the front and center of everything. Also reactions when you're not allowed to, to do it. Mm. With If you're very withdrawn when you're not engaged with it, but actually sort of very engaged when you are, that that's often a telltale sign. I think money is, is a big one, particularly when it comes to gambling, maybe less so with gaming. But still, as I've just said, with gaming, if, if someone's constantly after money, it might be the reason. Um, mobile phones are dangerous because everybody's on their phone all the time. And there's always a reason to be on your phone. But when I was addicted to gambling, I was addicted to my mobile phone. I really didn't get off it. And there were social situations now, like going out for dinner, where socially maybe it was it was not the right thing to be sat there on your phone if you sat around a table with the family. So I'd go to the Louvre five or six times because I'd want to gamble and nobody could question that when I was there. So there's small things like that. But I think just constantly looking at noticeable changes of behavior is the important part or prioritization over and above everything else. And of course, it goes without saying, if it's affecting someone's mental health, then that needs to be addressed. And the sort of, I mean, this might be difficult to answer, but the sort of steps that parents might want to take if they were worried about problem gambling. Act on your instinct, do something about it. Yeah. Um, don't assume it's not as bad as you think it might be. Mm. I think always if you try and intervene in the right way, then that's fine. But I think a mistake a lot of parents make, and I don't criticize my parents for much. They were, they're incredible people and they, they were amazing. But I was very fearful of, of judgment, mm. but also I was very fearful about it being gambling. I would say if it had been drugs or alcohol, I think I would have found it easier to talk about it. But yeah. because it was gambling and I knew that particularly mum wasn't a big fan of it, I thought, well, I can't admit it's gambling because the reaction will be, well, you're an idiot. People get very angry about money. So I think that's really important is to try and remove the judgment to play down the consequences, but also recognize the importance to, to intervene. Mm. Um, and one of the hardest things is not enabling the behavior. Um, I'm not a parent yet. Hopefully I will be one day. And I think one of the really difficult things is often when you love somebody, you do what you think is best for them, but it can be the worst thing. Mm. Um, and trying to solve the problem for them financially when it comes to gambling actually just enables the behavior. Because if you remove debts or pay off debts or give them money, if they've got a problem with it, they'll just use that for gambling. Mm. Um, so you've got to take control of that situation as well. And it doesn't mean you can't support them, but it's ways of doing it. It's taking control of money, paying off debts directly, making sure you then limit what's going in and what's going out. So... Yeah, I think the most important is to, to act on it, but don't try and necessarily do it yourself either. Um, there is a lot of there are a lot of organisations out there that can help and 
can support it's a very complex issue and allowing somebody else to to do the the kind of difficult bit on that is is also a really good bit of advice yeah so so it's so important the work that you're doing now so if people want to reach out to you or find out more about the work or invite you invite your organization to, into the school into schools to talk where can they find out more about the work that you do yeah the most obvious place is is on the website um if you type in epic risk management um to google or, or any search engine um it will pop up um and as i said at the beginning we work in in many different sectors not just in education but obviously that's where i kind of specialize in there is a lot of information on there if for individuals as well if you are concerned about yourself or indeed somebody else there's a, there's a section there called support which is around um what to do what organizations might be able to support you um i'm on all the normal social media channels um twitter at patrick foster 02 which i use a lot um, and at Patch Foster on Instagram and, and whether it's a kind of individual question or you want to reach out because you need some support, then I'm, I'm more than willing to help. Um, but also there's more information there about the work that I do and, and, and the book, of course. Yeah. And so Patrick's new book, uh, My Bite, is actually taking the world by storm. It's his brutally honest account of his gambling addiction and recovery and beyond. So please be sure to check it out and I'll, I'll absolutely link to it in the podcast notes. So thanks so much for coming on to the podcast, Patrick. It's been really great talking to you. Thanks for having me. It's um, brilliant chatting and, and keep up the great work on the podcast. Mm-hmm.